Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, September 1st, 2016. Day weekend coming up here in the United States. Labor Day. Once we're past it, we are officially in to heresy hurricane season. Shortly after we get into it, Code Orange Revival, the 2016 Heresy Olympics. Oh, it's going to be busy. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically and help you to think critically and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually open up the scriptures and do the comparative work to see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's how that works to see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says, and no, it doesn't, uh, and to basically see if they're teaching the historic, biblical, Christian, orthodox faith, or if they're twisting, mangling God's Word, generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach, and, you know, stuff like that. And over and again, we kind of demonstrate that's what's really going on. And uh, so this is an educational program. We try to have a little bit of fun along the way. And uh, there, there may be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, I, I'm just saying that has been known to happen as well. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. We're going to be check, checking in with Jennifer LeClaire and Ryan Lestrange as they explain to us how to wage prophetic warfare. Yeah, I mean, th- this is some handy-dandy stuff here. <laughs> Prophetic warfare, yeah. Okay, I, you know, I <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it, it's really important. And, of course, you know, she's the uh, the editor of Charisma Magazine, so, duh, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> yeah. I should warn you, today's episode does not have a theme. should have told you that before we started talking about what we're going to talk about. Normally, every episode of Fighting for the Faith has a theme that I'm working on. Yeah, there's... It can be an apologetic theme, it could be a doctrinal theme, it could be an epistemological theme, how you know what you know what you know kind of stuff. And um, and the idea is I try to get all of the horses pulling in the same direction. Sometimes the theme is readily apparent. Sometimes I even say what the theme is without even saying that's a theme. And other times, yeah, it's a little more tricky to kind of figure out, and then you have this 
episode and episodes like it where, you know, as we're getting close to the end of heresy hurricane season, there's a few things I wanted to get to but didn't get to but couldn't work them into a theme. And so this is kind of like a hot dog episode. You know, you just take the scraps of whatever's left on the the cutting room floor and it's... (laughs) It's a terrible metaphor. I know. I know. I'm, I apologize. Some of you are throwing things at your MP3 devices. Please don't do that. Um, anyway, um, so <laughs> today's episode, no theme. So after we learn how to do prophetic warfare, we're going to check in with William Tapley. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the uh, the Roman Catholic Church has for a long time wrongly taught that um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, teaches that Mary is going to crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, I know. And it's based upon a faulty translation of Genesis 3.15 from the Latin Vulgate. Jerome actually mistranslated Genesis 3.15. As a result of it, it has created all kinds of problems and uh, William Tapley noted that uh, EWTN, that uh, Roman Catholic television uh, network, uh, t- taught the correct view. He doesn't think it's correct, but rightly taught that uh, that uh, Mary is not the referent there, is the one crushing the head of the serpent. And so he's taking issue with EWTN on that. And so we'll note what he's saying. We'll show you uh, how you know it's not right, what he, he thinks should be right. And uh, and then to just to throw in something uh, a little bit bizarre, we'll throw in a little Mariology from a little cartoon put together by the Catholic Church uh, that is derived from the teachings of Pope Francis on the Virgin Mary, which should be so great to listen to. Somewhere in there, we'll take a break. Then we have a Nicole Crank update that we never really were able to get to. Uh, uh, Stop keeping it real is what she's teaching. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to Erwin with McManus and his idea that the, the Bible's purpose is to give you an artisan soul, to teach you creativity rather than shame you or whatever. And then in our sermon review in hour number two, we're going to head over to C3 Church O'Halloran Hill as we listen to uh, Tim Phillip uh, preach his sermon titled Comeback. Yeah. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife. The idol of me life, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roly bowl a ball, roly bowl a ball, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So, have you ever learned how to do prophetic warfare? Yeah, you know it's really important stuff. I mean, I mean, otherwise the uh, 
editor of Charisma Magazine wouldn't be talking about it. I mean, that's how you know it's true because, I mean, she's the editor of Charisma Magazine, so it's got to be true, right? Well, here is a uh, Facebook Live. They don't do Periscope. She doesn't do Periscope. She went to the Facebook Live thing. And her and Ryan Lestrange uh, talk about, uh, you know, discerning demonic attacks and then waging prophetic warfare. Oh, some deep stuff here. Here, here we go. All right. Well, we're going to get started here. I've got uh, Ryan Lestrange with me, my good friend. We are here uh, heading off to a, a service, a commissioning service for New Breed Revival Network. Hey, Teresa Tavernier, meet me at the Awakening House of Prayer in Dania Beach, Redding, California. We want to talk to you today about something that is going to help you fulfill your destiny and your call and just live a full... Oh, man. I, You know, I've been looking for some things to help me fulfill my, my density and my, I mean, I, I'm so glad you've got something really practical along those lines. Because I mean, with all this dream, destiny, doctrine thingy, purpose thingy stuff floating around, um, <clears throat> like sludge, you know, in a flood, um, <laughs> you know, in the Christian church, um, you know, I, I, I need something really practical to help me, you know, uh, fulfill my density. Life, because there is an enemy. He is real. Yeah. He is roaming about like a roaring lion, and he's seeking to devour. But he attacks. And right, seeking to devour would mean I think he wants me to die and go to hell. I didn't realize he was after my dream destiny. Attacks in very, very subtle ways. Right. Uh, Ryan has a new book that's coming out that you all need to pick up. It's called The Eight. Uh, symptoms of a spiritual attack is that right yeah it's it, well it's overcoming spiritual attack right yeah there's eight symptoms of a spiritual attack and you need to learn how to overcome them right yeah. identifying eight symptoms you know the lord gave me these eight symptoms and the the the, the, the lord gave them to you yeah how did he do that i mean don't you think if you know that like all of the church from like you know 2000 years ago forward could really have used these eight symptoms of, you know, spiritual attack. And, you know, don't you think God the Holy Spirit should have put them into the Bible? I mean, did he forget? and Or did he just really choose you that, you know, he, he, you know, he was up in heaven realizing, oh, man, I forgot to put in the eight symptoms of spiritual attack. I, yeah, in fact, I'm sure the Holy Spirit was kind of going like this. It's like, you know, I, I I think we're done with the the New Testament now. Um, man, I just feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, I hate it when I feel that way. I I know, no, I I'm pretty sure we're done. But yeah, so we're finished. Yeah, but I'll, I'll think about it. You know, it takes me some time. And then, like two thousand years later, he went. Oh, no. Oh, I knew I forgot something in the New Testament. Oh, man. Now what am I going to do? Um, I forgot to tell John to write about the eight symptoms of a spiritual attack. Oh, this is terrible. What am I going to do? I mean, the church has gone 2,000 years. I meant to put it into the Bible, and then I forgot. Oh, and what do I do? Maybe I'll, I'll call up my good friend. Jennifer LeClaire, you know, she's the editor of Charisma Magazine and see what she says. And so he dials her up and she says, you know, call up Lestrange. So, all right. So I call Lestrange. Uh, hello, Ryan. Yeah, this is the Holy Spirit. You know, I, oh, totally messed up. I totally forgot to put the eight symptoms of a spiritual attack in the Bible. 
Uh, so I'm going to give these to you. Could you make sure to like get these out and distribute them so that we, you know, that the church can finally start using this information that I intended to give them back when you know Peter and John were writing, but I totally forgot to inspire them about this. Could you, could you do that for me? Thanks. Uh, I truly appreciate it. Big thing is this, like Jennifer is saying, there's an invisible realm of the spirit. So a lot of people are walking around in a haze uh, under this cloud. They just think they're having a bad day, a bad moment. So I understand. It is true that there is an invisible realm of the spirit. That's clearly what the Bible teaches. But this haze part, um, where'd you get that? They don't understand there's a spiritual attack. And one of the ways you discern the attack, this is, I go in great detail in my new book, Overcoming Spiritual Attack. But one of the ways is the sense of purpose, that direction that was Christmas. Mm, yeah. So, you know, the way you overcome a spiritual attack is by a sense of purpose. Yeah. I, I know the Holy Spirit meant to put that in the Bible, but he forgot. I'm, I'm glad he finally gave it to you, though, Ryan. That's great. Clear to you suddenly becomes cloudy because you see one of the most powerful things in life is to discover your purpose. Do you know the anointing is connected to your purpose? No, I, I had no idea that the anointing was connected to my purpose because silly me, I've been relying on the written word of God um, and it doesn't say that in the Bible. When you tap into purpose, when an intercessor discovers their purpose, there's an anointing to intercede and stand and contend. When right, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's true, but it's not found in the Bible. Um, so how exactly am, am I supposed to know that this is what I'm supposed to believe if it's not in the Bible? you're under a spiritual attack that clarity of purpose grows dim and it's one of the ways you can discern that it's not just a bad day it's not just that you're having some struggle and some adversity but it's something beyond that and once you discern the attack you can wage prophetic warfare uh, yeah so so you got to discern the attack so that you can then wage prophetic warfare and how does one go about waging this prophetic warfare? That's so good. I know that you're... Yeah, I'm glad you think so, Jennifer. Um, it's a, not self-serving at all. Um, you know, could you please give me some biblical text to back up any of this stuff? Look, Ryan is really uh, very strategic for this hour. And I wrote the forward. I read it. I highly endorse it. It's something that I think every believer... Well, I mean, if she endorses it, it's it's got to be true, Right? Uh-huh. ...to pick up. And then moving on, you can wage prophetic warfare. That's the name of my new book. Actually, it's called Waging Prophetic Warfare. And it talks about all the ways the Holy Spirit will lead you prophetically to win the battle. You know, the Bible says that God always leads us into triumph in Christ Jesus. God leads us. The Holy Spirit leads us into battle. When he leads us, we can win. Now, there's many different prophetic warfare strategies that I talk about in my book. There's identificational repentance, which I have now claimed as... Identificational repent. What is that? <laughs> have, you, have you engaged in identificational repent repentance? Is identificational a word? Warfare repentance. There's waging war... Waging war with the prophetic words over... Warfare repentance. Are you engaging in warfare repentance?
life, there's many different strategies. I think sometimes as spiritual warriors and watchmen, we get rote in our spiritual warfare. We come against the same three spirits all of the time. We Oh, yeah. You don't want to do that. I mean, you got to get original. You, if you're going to come against spirits in, in prophetic spiritual warfare, you know, you need to get beyond like your favorite three uh, that's some practical stuff right there yeah of the same prayer strategy you know we come with the same prayer group we need a fresh revelation you know cindy jacobs told me why would i need a fresh revelation i have the written word of god and that's god breathed she wrote the forward for the book and she told me oh yeah cindy jacobs she's totally on the level right yeah this book is 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 refreshing and bringing back to the fore uh, some of the revelations that she dug out, and she was pleased and thrilled to see how. Right, yeah, revelation that Cindy Jacobs dug out. Yeah, <laughs> would she dig it out with a doggy scooper? I mean, what are you? Uh... I brought some of those things back around with a new spin, with a fresh anointing. Lou Engel endorsed the oh, book. Oh, a new, a new spin, fresh anointing. Lou Engel, uh, he endorsed it. That means it's on the level, you know. Uh, gosh, I can't even remember all the people. Uh, Dick Eastman endorsed the book. Uh, lots of uh, warriors and, and prophetic people that you know endorse the book. And Ryan's book really is... Yeah, I lots and lots of prophetic people endorse it, so it's got to be true. A prerequisite. I think these two books really go together because if you're going to wage warfare, you need to know what it is that's attacking you because if you go start uh, a war with a spirit that's not attacking you, you know, you're going you're gonna to release more warfare on yourself. So <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I have this straight. So I, I'm out there just guessing, you know, which spirit is attacking me. So I decide that I'm going to prophetically wage war with that spirit. And then I come to find out I attacked the wrong spirit. So that spirit's going to get really upset and he's going to come after me. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up N yeah no okay i'm i'm done i <laughs> yeah that's some practical stuff right there you know so that you can make sure you're waging war against the right spirit without uh, you know warring against the wrong spirit which will then cause that other spirit to attack you oh man talk about i mean this is like bondage to utter ignorance yeah, I'm I'm going to go with the written word of God and just focus on that and ignore these people cuz they clearly are just making stuff up and blaming the Holy Spirit for it. Yeah. All right, moving along. Yeah, time for a William Tapley Third Eagle of the Apocalypse co-prophet of the End Times update. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Third Eagles to and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon, very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. All right, we're going to learn a little bit about Catholic theology, Roman Catholic, not Catholic with a small c. By the way, true Christianity is Catholic, small c, which means universal. 
Roman Catholic is an oxymoron. Rome is a place and Catholic means universal. That The two just don't go together. That doesn't make any sense. But uh, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, the Roman Catholic Church, because of a mistranslation of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 in the Latin Vulgate, which was translated by the church father Jerome, for many, many, many centuries taught that... <laughs> taught that Mary was going to crush the head of the serpent. And uh, EWTN, the Roman Catholic Network, by the way, a recent Roman Catholic translation actually gets it right. And uh, it's causing consternation among uh, (laughs) old-school Roman Catholics, including William Tapley. I'll let him explain. Here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the Co-Prophet of these end On this program, I want to challenge EWTN. You need to start putting true Catholic interpretation of end times prophecy on your radio programs, your television programs, and in your newspapers. Uh huh. And the thing he's taking issue with is that EWTN recently correctly got Genesis 3.15 Right, and that is, let me read it from uh, the ESV, and I'll explain what's going on in the Hebrew, too. Uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And in the Hebrew, it's very clear that it's he, not she. Now, by the way, this is also cross-reference. I would point you to... Uh, those of you Roman Catholics who doubt this, I would point you to the Septuagint. The Septuagint also has the uh, the uh, pronouns he, 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 not she. We don't get she until the Latin Vulgate and Jerome mistranslated what's going on in the Hebrew. So recently, ro- the Roman Catholic Church has kind of had to do a mea culpa and say, yeah, the Hebrew says he... The Septuagint, which is a translation of the Hebrew from, you know, before Christ, Yike correctly translates the Hebrew as he. All of, you know, that's the thing. It's not until the Vulgate that you get she, and that was an error on the part of the translator, Jerome. So we continue. Because yesterday you made a grievous error. You misinterpreted Genesis 3.15, which is a crucial and extremely important End times Bible prophecy. Now, by the way, by the way, um, in the history of the Reformation, the uh, Roman Catholic Church did something akin to what the KJV only folk do. Uh huh. Yeah, at the time of the Council of Trent, and you know that era, that in that period, they literally tried to um, <laughs> demand the Latin Vulgate to have an ins- be an inspired translation. Yeah, no joke. No joke. And uh, that's kind of persisted until very recently where they've, you know, it be, it's become uh, textually indefensible. And uh, so William Tapley, in a sense, is similar to the KJV only group. And I, in, in, in my history as a theologian and Christian apologist, I've actually been upbraided by uh, folks in the KJV only crowd because I read Greek and Hebrew. And uh, one time on my Facebook, I actually put a translation of a text 
from the Greek and uh, you know on on my uh, on my Facebook and somebody who was KJV only said you need to knock that you you ah and they went crazy went ballistic. Um, yeah, keep in mind it's the original manuscripts, the original autographs that were inspired, and they were written in Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, so which is why we study biblical languages and things like that. Just saying, you know. I got an email this morning from one of my subscribers, Clive James, and I wanted to read this for you because he brought my attention to this terrible error. Terrible, terrible. I'm so frustrated that so-called Catholic experts get Genesis 3.15 wrong. While I suppose we shouldn't be surprised... Yeah, actually, if they got the he part wrong, they didn't get it wrong. They got it right because that's what the Hebrew says. Very clear in the Hebrew, yeah. Clive, because Pope Paul VI said that Satan had, the smoke of Satan had entered into the church. And, of course, it entered into the, the Protestant denominations hundreds of years ago. Don't they know how crucial this passage is? Well, it is extremely crucial. As I said, this is the first example in the Bible of end times Bible prophecy. <laughs> No, it's the first example of the gospel. Yeah, that's that's really the implication of uh, of Genesis three fifteen. Uh, yeah, so let me let me back it up. Uh, Genesis Genesis three fourteen. This is when the God, when God is cursing, you know, literally punishing um, Adam and Eve and the serpent after the whole um, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thing. Yeah, here's what it says the Lord said to the serpent, "Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock." And above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, the dust of you shall uh, you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Uh-huh. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is this is what's called the Proto-Euangelion, the first gospel, and the promise of a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, and if the serpent's head is crushed, then we are released from his power and bondage and dominion. Yeah, important text. It's not eschatological pointing to the end times. It's Christological pointing to Christ on the cross. Oh, boy. Yeah, so we got a problem here, and he's defending the uh, Latin Vulgate, where and Jerome got it wrong, you know? Although many Bible scholars think it... It's predicting Jesus' defeat of Satan. It doesn't. Well, actually, it does. Predicts Mary's defeat of Satan. Yeah, Mary doesn't defeat Satan. That's the thing. The seed of the woman does, and that's Jesus. They seem to be former Protestants. Jimmy Aiken, for example. And I feel this is why they get it wrong. Very likely. Very, very likely. Yeah, yeah. Look at this link from the Catholic show Called to Communion. EWTN. And I believe this was on EWTN radio yesterday afternoon, although you can see it on YouTube because they also tape it, where they say Genesis 3.15 is he and not she. Well, this is totally false. No, actually, that's correct. If you read Hebrew, you'd see it for yourself. And again, cross-reference it with the Septuagint. The Septuagint gets the uh, the pronouns correct, and it's he 
Now, we at the moment, yeah, notice I switched pronouns up from he to we. We at the moment are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We'll have a little bit more William Tapley, some Mary Olatry, yeah, from summarizing of the Pope's doctrine. Hopefully we'll get to Nicole Crank and Erwin McManus. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Presenting for your listening pleasure, Majestic Mystery by Brian McLaren, read by Reginald Bumper Scatter. Oh, Majestic Mystery. Oh, Mysterious Majesty. My small hand can never grasp you. I can only hold it open. I don't like this at all. Majestic mystery. I think I'm going to be sick. Mysterious. He's saying words, but I'm not even sure it's English. Small mind. Ah! My appendix just turned inside out. it open. Someone help that poor man and call the paramedic. What's all this then? That poor man appendix is just turned inside out. Well, that doesn't sound good. It's not every day that people appendixes do that. What was he doing? Listening to the emergent poet on stage. He didn't tell me there was emergent poetry being read? Right. Everybody evacuate the building immediately. Oh, majestic mystery. Here come the Navy SEALs! What seems to be the trouble? Somebody in that building is reading emergent poetry! Have you set up a soundproof perimeter? No, I haven't had time! Oh, we can't help you then. What do you mean you can't help us? Too dangerous. Too, too dangerous? Don't get cheeky with me. You've seen but a small taste of emergent poetry's destructive power. It only gets worse with each passing stanza. Game 
Game over, dude. Game over. Quick, get that man into quarantine. His soul's been sucked out from his nostrils. Isn't there anything you can do to help that poor man? Afraid not. The only answer we have now is to nuke the site from orbit. You hold it open. It's open to you, Fantastic Mystery. Search the area and make sure no one's hiding in the refrigerator. We can't have any survivors. <laughs> it's been nice serving with you, Chief. Likewise. Can't believe the world's come to this. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that Genesis 3.15 is referencing Christ, not Mary. I'll give you a little bit more details in a minute. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there... You'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. They're all over the place, actually. They're, they appear in multiple instances on our website. Uh, that one of them says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute a specific amount that you choose 
to support Fighting for the Faith. It's a great way to support us. Uh, lowest rank in our crew is uh, Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate, $24.95 a month. Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Uh, everybody who joins at Powder Monkey will receive a Pirate Christian Radio bumper sticker and uh, die-cut Cairo flag sticker. Uh, everybody at Gunner's Mate and above will actually receive a copy of our new card game called Reformanda is our way of saying thank you for joining our crew. Of course, if you'd like to uh, purchase any of those items, uh, you can do so by going to our bake sale, which is, the bake sale link is at the top of our uh, webpage there. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing here without it. Now, I just realized, uh, yeah, <laughs> thinking in my mind, I referenced the Hebrew, but I didn't actually say what the Hebrew says, um, which is really kind of bad form on my part. Uh, Genesis uh, 3.15 in the Hebrew, it's actually quite fascinating. Uh, the the verb in question is ashuf, uh, is uh, the way it's pronounced, and the the way it appears in the Hebrew text is yeshuf, which is a qual imperfect third masculine singular. Uh huh. To Bruce, third masculine singular. And if you're you know not convinced that it's he, it, it, it in the he, in the Hebrew it's who yeshufacha. Yeah, huh? and the Yeshuf Akha, that all, who is, again, a masculine singular pronoun. The verb itself, Yeshuf, is masculine singular. So there in the Hebrew, he shall bruise your head. Yeah, so, you know, we've got a uh, problem here. Uh, William Tapley, he, he, he was wrongly taught, and... He's hanging on to what Jerome's Latin Vulgate uh, said, and it's not correct. But can't believe EWTN claims to be Catholic right. when they are giving a totally false interpretation of this important passage. What are they thinking? I'm disappointed that there was given no room for a discussion. The show's host was a former Calvinist, and his name is Dr. David Anders, and I'm not sure it's his fault. Because he was raised in the Protestant tradition. and Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, those Protestants. Yeah, he's, Former Calvinist turned Catholic. Uh, uh, Since Vatican II, the Catholic Church has adopted the King James translation of Genesis 3.15. So where is he going to get the truth? I mean, is he going to watch my program? Because that's, as far as I know, the only place you're going to find out the truth. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't ever go to William Tapley's YouTube channel to, to find the truth. That's generally not why I'm there, yeah. The show's host was a former Calvinist, as I said. He is not totally familiar with the Bible pre-Reformation. And the church taught for 2,000 years that it is she, that is Mary, who will crush the serpent. No, actually, that's not correct. That didn't show up until uh, Jerome translated the uh, Hebrew text into Latin and mistranslated Genesis 3.15. Yeah, that's right. That's where it started. And uh, boy, is that a problem. And again, the Hebrew text says he, yeah, shuf, he shall 
Yeshuf Echa, if you want to be even more specific. He sh- who Yeshuf Echa? He shall um, bruise you know, your head. Anyway, so, and then again, the even in the uh, Septuagint, the pronouns are masculine, singular. He, yeah. Well, let's take a look at this brief clip from EWTN. Here is Steve in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Steve says, I continue to listen and enjoy your show. I would like your opinion about different translations of Genesis 3.15. Older Catholic translations have the verse saying, she will crush the head of the serpent, while newer ones seem more in line with Protestant translations that say, her seed will crush the head of the serpent. I asked a Catholic friend of mine, he hadn't realized newer versions had changed the wording, so I looked it up in some Catholic theology websites, could not really get a concise answer on the topic, so I would like your opinion. Thanks for your show. Steve in Connecticut. Yeah, it's he. It is he. It is he. Yeah, he, he. Yeah, that's, he's right. You know, it is he. It's there in the Hebrew, it's there in you know, Septuagint. If you want to do some cross reference, it didn't show up until Jerome's Latin Vulgate. You know, it's the head of the serpent. No, so it's, it's a, it, the, the prophecy refers to the seed of the virgin, uh, namely the Messiah. Oh, okay, very good. Well, I do say Dr. Andrews did not seem too sure of himself when he said he. Maybe he knows that he is not familiar with the passage and that he is kind of shooting in the dark. In any case, let's take a look at Genesis 3.15 and how it should be interpreted. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now this- so, yeah, he's quoting now a old Roman Catholic translation that's based on the Vulgate's mistranslation. Almighty God speaking. And it's the Trinity, because we know earlier in the passage, it says we will create man in our image and likeness. So this includes Jesus. Between your seed and her seed. Now, I used to think that the woman's seed, who was Mary, was Jesus. But that is not true. Uh, Oh, man. Jesus is the one... Telling this. He is the one putting the enmity between the serpent and the woman. I will put enmity. And he is not talking about himself. Mary's seed is the remnant Catholic Church. And of course, Satan's seed is the one world tyranny, which we will. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's just pathetic is the best way I can put it. And, uh, you know, I think just for good measure, since we're, you know, talking about Roman Catholicism, we should do a little bit of a Roman Catholic update here. Yeah, that's right. Time for a Roman Catholic Church update. It's been a while since we've done one of these. And uh, just for good measure, I thought what we could do is throw in a uh, the audio from a recently put together cartoon yeah I know a cartoon and um, the cartoon itself uh, it actually says let me let me back off on the music it says that the stories in this animation are fictional and the words from the Holy Father that would be Pope Francis are inspired by his speeches and writings Um and it lists the uh, speeches in particular. October 28, 2014, 
audience, the Vatican, um, uh, October 12th, 2013, catechesis from the Vatican, a homily on January 1st, 2015, um, a, uh, an, an Angelus, whatever that is, of, at the Vatican, uh, and that's uh, August 15th, 2015, in Santiago de Cuba, uh, September 22nd, 2015. So, um, yeah, um, the name of the video is Why We Should Love the Virgin Mary, colon, Pope Francis Minute. Yeah, that's the name of the video. And so we'll throw in some uh, Marian uh, idolatry just to kind of round this all out. So here is uh, the Catholic Link cartoon titled Why We Should Love the Virgin Mary. Here we go. Five more steps to the Virgin of... Uh, that's weird. She doesn't look anything like on my prayer card. Hey, how many mothers did Jesus have? Uh, it's quite the uh, disconcerting thing, you know. All the different depictions of the Virgin Mary um, immortalized in Roman Catholic Church, kind of idolatrously so, yeah. Mary is Jesus' only mother. All right, now the person speaking um, is a cartoon character that looks exactly like Pope Francis. And although he didn't say these exact words, these were all taken from his different teachings regarding the Virgin Mary. And if she holds many different devotions... Ah, like my wife. She uses a different dress for every place. My beautiful queen. My lady. My great... <laughs> Easy there. With conviction. Why, yes. Mary gave birth to Jesus. She's mother. A church without Mary is an orphanage with her help. Church without Mary is an orphanage. Jesus can be born and grow within you. Mary leads you to God with patience and tenderness. So uh, Mary leads me to God? Hang on, I gotta back this up a little bit. Something's really weird going on in this theology. Jesus can be born and grow within you. Jesus can be born and grow within me because of Mary? He leads you to God with patience and tenderness, so he can undo the knots in your life with the mercy of a father. She accompanies you. She was always Jesus' disciple, and she let herself be guided by his word. She kept his same feelings and attitude. A mother cares for her child, fights to save them till the very end. She weighs upon your conscience at every moment. She the, the, the Virgin Mary weighs upon my conscience? Isn't that the work of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and unbelief? Oh, this is weird. Brings Jesus from heaven to live with you. She Mary brings Jesus from heaven to live with me? Is for you, counsels you, and is always close. But isn't all this devotion a little much for just a mother? No one can live without their mother. One might know Jesus very well, but nobody can truly say they're mature enough to do without Mary. Without her. No one is mature enough to do without Mary? Ma Mary is a sinful woman like I am a sinful man. Um, she's a sinful human being in need of a savior, just like I am. Well, that's weird. Eternity. Only rigidness and discipline remain. There's no joy. She protects you and defends in moments of spiritual turbulence. And uh, Mary defends me in moments of spiritual turbulence. Really? Oh, wow, she sounds super-de-duper, you know. Takes us in under her mantle. Your life is not adrift without a path, even if it has moments of uncertainties and suffering. 
there is a goal. The Father's house awaits you with love. Mary invites us to go out, to have an open heart, to get involved with others, to keep hope alive, and to be a sign of reconciliation. She invites you to be a revolution of tenderness. Um, Mary invites me to be a revolution of tenderness. Okay, yeah. Okay. Christ and his mother are inseparable. There are those who are ashamed of the Virgin Mary. They don't speak of her with love. Jesus was never ashamed of the Virgin Mary because he was never ashamed of his mother. Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah, that's a bonafide version of Mariolatry there. I think we should put that in the Museum of Idolatry, um, just to kind of make the point. But, wow. So, yeah, I figured, you know, while we're talking about the uh, Roman Catholic mistranslation from the uh, Latin Vulgate of Genesis 3.15, just kind of give you an idea of what it is that Rome teaches regarding Mary and it sounds like some of the things she's supposedly supposed to do for us are the things that Scripture says the Holy Spirit does for us. Yeah, I do believe that they engage in um, Mary-olatry. That would be the correct term for it. That ain't biblical theology. Uh-huh. And hence, one of the major problems of the Roman Catholic Church. All right, moving along, we have a Nicole Crank update, and uh, here we go. Looking for a city built above, looking for a city where we'll never die, where the same in millions never say goodbye, there we'll meet our Savior, and our love was true. Spirit, for our homes renewed, looking for a city where we'll never die, where the saint in millions never say goodbye, there will be the Savior, and our love was true, come the Holy Spirit. Yeah, <laughs> one of the new songs we have in our mix there. I feel like my ears are bleeding. Anyway, the uh, the message we're going to be listening to a portion of is titled "The Trust Game," and uh, and Nicole Crank is going to explain to us in the course of this message why you should never say "I'm just keeping it real." Apparently, that'll like totally undo the whole word of faith heresy. You don't want to be just keeping it real because. You got you got to decree and declare and proclaim prophetically, you know, positive outcomes in your life. And Nicole Crank and her husband David teach the word of faith prosperity heresy. So 
Yeah, I'll let her explain. Here's Nicole Crank. Are there things in your life that don't make sense? <clears throat> I tell you. Yeah, things like Nicole Crank preaching videos. Yeah, because God's word doesn't allow women to be doing what she's doing, you know. But do you ever do things that just plum don't make sense like, ladies, you go to put on your lipstick, so the first thing that happens is your eyebrows go up. <laughs> right? Guys are like, I never wear lipstick. Well, I certainly hope not. That's awkward. How about, guys, you're driving, you got your favorite jams on, the radio's up, boom, 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 you're having a good time, until you're going somewhere that you've never been before and you get to that street. So while you're looking for the address, you turn the radio down because somehow you see better with the radio down. <laughs> or when you're right remote. Why do I feel like she stole this from some stand-up comic? Troll at home starts acting up. So the first thing you do is you start pressing the buttons harder as if thumb strength is going to fix the problem. What is going on with this remote control? Hello, everybody say, oh, hello. Hello. Things that we do in life that don't make sense. Y'all do stuff in life that doesn't make sense? Does God ever perplex you and things happen to you that you don't think make sense? We were just talking in the car a minute ago about how you go out in the sun and your skin gets darker and your hair gets lighter. That doesn't make sense. Like, pick one. They should both get darker. They should both get... Why? why? Darker light? I don't understand. God does stuff that doesn't make sense to our natural mind. Um, I wrote on Facebook uh, this morning. How many of y'all follow me on Facebook? Who else do y'all other people follow? Come on. Get with the program. I wrote on there that if we limit God with our finite thinking, we limit his infinite possibilities. Um, what? Where in the Bible does it say that we can limit God with finite thinking? I mean, it sounds like you just made that up. I mean, the, nowhere in the scripture does it say that. I thought God was omnipotent. Limit God with our finite thinking. What does that mean? With the way we think, with the, with the natural right? We, we go ahead and we put God in a space that is limited to, um, just what we can see and what makes sense to us. Well, God, um, yeah. Um, which biblical text says that we shouldn't do that? I don't know what it is that you're talking about. Um, <laughs> this, I think this is akin to that doctrine of putting God in a box. You don't want to do that. God's really allergic to boxes. He can't get out of them. Apparently it's like, Kryptonite, you know, kryptonite to Superman, boxes are like that to God, apparently. Yeah. This is the way I can see it going. So, God, this must be the way that, that it's going to go. So, God, we're just going to go this way. How many of you have ever told God how to do your miracle? <laughs> so, here, God's what I need you to do. What I really need you to do is I need that one to get fired, and then I need you to bring me more money, and I really need it by Thursday at 2 o'clock. $257.38, please. Right? When we limit God with our finite thinking, we limit his infinite possibilities. Uh, again, which biblical text teaches this doctrine? I've never seen that one in the Bible. And I want to tell you a story today about a guy in the Bible. His name is Asa. He was a king. And he is in Second Chronicles 14. Okay. How many of y'all are managers at your work? You lead your own business. You lead your own office. You lead a team at work. You lead in your neighborhood. You're a leader at school. You lead your family. Raise your hand if you're a leader. 
best leadership book on the planet is First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings. It's only a few pages, but it's all these kings that lived. It's how they rose and how they fell. It's how they screwed up and how they succeeded. And I don't know about y'all, but if I can look at how some other sucker messed up instead of me and avoid that problem, that is what I like to do. So that's what that part of my Bible looks like. My whole Bible doesn't look like that, but this part of my Bible gets a lot of reading, which makes it kind of hard to see here because I color it in so many different colors. Okay, so we're reading... First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles in order to figure out, you know, life management and stuff like that. Yet never heard it used that way. That's a new one by me. But then again, we are talking about Nicole Crank. We continue. And so we're going to talk about Asa. And Asa is a king after his father dies. And he gets 10 years of reigning under his belt. And in verse 7, Second Chronicles 14, verse 7, it says that he built and prospered. That's the kind of good kind of life. And that's how a lot of us live our life is we do something for a little amount of time and we start thinking we're good at what we do, right? Well, I'm kind of an expert at this. So I think other people should ask me about this because this is my lane. This is my flow. I've been selling real estate for 10 years, honey. I'm telling you, it never goes that cheap. Uh, what is she talking about? I I can't untwist this. I this is just her spewing stuff off the top of her head. I yeah. Okay, we continue. Yeah, know what I'm talking about? Or how about we become Christians and we've been Christians and we do really good. Like we come to church three whole Sundays in a row. No way. And then we're probably pretty good at being a Christian at that point because we got three Sundays in a row under our belt. So if other people need to know about God, we are suddenly very good judges at that. Like, girl, you should not do that because my Jesus. And we just start giving out free advice and we start judging other people because we got it right like two times in a row. Can I just get an amen? I'm going to raise both my hands, both my feet. We're very quick at becoming wise in an area. And he was quick, 10 years, 10 years of success as a king. And he thought he was a wise and good king. And this was probably going to continue all this way. And then something that didn't make sense happened in his reign. And verse eight, he's actually talking about, I've got 300,000 men of Judah. They are warriors. They fight with a spear and a sword. And I've got 280,000 men of Benjamin. They fight with bows and arrows and shields. I have 580,000 men in my army. So when you come to me, people, and you say, you and one army, I'm like, that army of 580,000 men, that's my army. You go home, boy. Right? He's feeling tough. Until 10 years later, the king of Ethiopia in verse 8 comes along. And in verse 8, the king of Ethiopia has a million men. Verse 9, a million men. When you are outnumbered two to one in a fight, outlook not good. Right? It doesn't matter if you're Tyson. You get two of the other heavyweights in the ring, you're suddenly in trouble. That heresy. Two on one doesn't work. So the temptation... When we've been feeling like we've been doing something really well, life's been going all right. We've been paying our bills all right. We've been working all right. The marriage has been going all right. We've been parenting all right. It always cracks me up when the parent of a four-year-old wants to write a parenting book. (laughs) 
I'm like, girlfriend, wait till post college. <laughs> just wait, just wait. So notice she didn't actually read the text. We just got her um, summary of it. If you can even call it that. That's right, right. We do something for a few minutes in a, in a row and we feel we're good at it. And then something doesn't make sense happens. And so then we start to talk about what's happening in our life. And we start talking about what we see. So the temptation for them would be, oh my gosh, a million men are coming. Oh, they're going to kill us. They're going to make my wife a slave. They're going to steal my kids. They're going to make my kids make bricks the rest of their life. They're going to steal our stuff. He's going to be sitting in my lazy boy. No, not my lazy boy. That's my lazy boy. Don't take my lazy boy. No, God. Uh And this is another reason why women should not preach. I don't want this to happen. And we say the circumstance. The problem with that is God... Has- and we say the circumstance. there Now now we're going to steer into word of faith heresy. This idea that our words create reality. Given us the ability to speak our future. Oh. We are supposed to speak. We are supposed to prophesy what's going to happen to us. So if we... Uh-huh. Says no biblical text anywhere. Too busy keeping it real. Now, you probably don't say this, but how many of you know somebody who says, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real, right? I'm just keeping it real. I'll be honest with you. My husband and I have said that in the last month at least in our bedroom upstairs talking about some kind of problem. And one of us has said, I'm just keeping it real. Uh-oh. Yeah, but you're, you're now prophesying a negative future if you're keeping it real. You better not speak how things really are because then you're speaking your future. We do that dumbest thing ever. We don't need to keep it real because keeping it real is keeping it natural. Keeping it natural is leaning to our own understanding. Leaning to our own understanding is using our finite mind to weed out the infinite possibilities of God. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Uh, Why would I give him a hand clap of praise for your nonsense? Nowhere in scripture does it say we're supposed to prophesy our future. Nowhere does it say, and therefore, don't ever keep it real. Don't ever speak the way the situation is, because then you're going to get locked into it. Oh, no, 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 no. And you know how this works. And this is the tyranny of the word of faith heresy. So, yeah, and boy, you talk to anybody who's who's buying into this stuff. They get really superstitious. So the person is sitting at work, and all of a sudden, you, And it's like, uh-oh. They have that feeling, you know, you know that feeling, that that twinge in your throat and that weird feeling in your nostrils and oh, and and you you can say it. It's like you can't say it though, but you, you sit there and you think to yourself, that might be a cold. And so, what happens to the person who well, they they can't keep it real, you know. So it's like there they are again. It's like. <gasps> You know, and now all of a sudden they can really feel it. It's like, oh, no, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So somebody comes in and says, I heard you sneezing. And are you coming down with a cold? Nope, no, no, I'm not coming down. No, I, I'm the head. I'm not the tail. I, 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 uh, nope, no, I'm, I haven't felt any, I've never felt better in my whole life. And, and they're lying. Why are they lying? Because if they say the words, I think I'm coming down with a cold. They've just pronounced a word curse on themselves, and now they're doomed. They're going to come down with a cold. That's just the way that works. 
And so that's what she's talking about here. You don't want to say we're keeping it real because if you're keeping it real, then you're speaking the situation that currently is negative and that's you prophesying your future with your words. This is <laughs> the bondage of the uh, the positive here. You can't actually say how things really are. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck with that always being that way. Uh-huh. You see, because what God says about our words, God says, Proverbs eighteen twenty, death and life are in the power of the. He does not mean that that means you have the power to create your future with your words. You are totally twisting Proverbs there. In Matthew 12, he says, by our words, we are justified. And by our words, we are out of context. Again, word of faith, heresy. Damned. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, I have set before you death and life. Then he tells us what to do. He tells us, choose life. Yeah, and the way you choose life is by prophesying using positive words. So whatever you do, don't try to keep it real. Because then you're, you're choosing death by speaking negative words. Negatively confessing. Choose, choose, choose. Choose indicates that the choice hasn't been made for us. Choose indicates that we have an opportunity to get this the way God wants it or to go ahead and do it another way. So now I want to go ahead and press pause on Asa and, 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 and that and, and speak in life and choosing I'm making a decision real quick. Uh, okay, wait. Before we do that, I want to go to Mark 11, 23 and 24. Because I want to get to this saying thing just a little bit more. Because what will happen is we will keep this on our mind today. And then next week we'll forget about it. And we'll start saying a bunch of junk that will set up our future to go a certain way. And it's not necessarily the way we want it to go or the way God wants it to go. But because you said those words, you know, oh, no, I'm not feeling well. I think I got a cold. Ah, oh, no, I, I've cursed myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what she's teaching these people. And it's not Christianity. And so you live with somebody who buys into this. They can never speak truthfully about what's going wrong in their life. No, because if they speak it with their words, then they've cursed themselves and prophesied a negative future that God didn't want for them. But, hey, you know, that's how that works. Yeah, what a mess. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Fire Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're heading down to C3 Church, O'Halloran Hill. Tim Phillip in his sermon, Comeback. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. 
Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Reformanda and join the fight for the faith today. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Anya's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anyusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Let's do this right, though. Get the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church, O'Halloran Hill, Tim Phillip presiding. The name of the sermon is Comeback. This is the first sermon in the series itself. And all I can say is <laughs> it's about, well, it doesn't make any sense. That's all I can say. It's a mess. It's just a total mess. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Tim Phillip and his sermon comeback. Here we go. Got your Bible. See, we're doing great for time. We're doing great for time. Has it, does anyone else watch Seinfeld? The best show ever made. Oh, I love Seinfeld because it's a show literally about nothing. And in one of the episodes, they're in the car, and George, the little guy with the glasses, is like, we are making great time. And where are we going? I don't know. We're lost, but we're making great time. <laughs> it's just such a, that's what it's like. As long as we're making good time, doesn't matter where we're going, as long as we're getting there. 
Fantastic. Genesis 28, Genesis 28, verse 10. We're going to read a lot of scripture. Genesis 28, verse 10, all the way through to verse 21. It's a great passage of scripture. Now Jacob went out from Bathsheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place, stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached toward, uh, reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back, will bring you back to this land For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Don't you find it interesting that it says the ladder was set up on the earth. The ladder is something that we set up. Uh, Now, he's already straight. The ladder is something we set up? No. No, 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 no. We did not set up the ladder to heaven. This is weird what he's doing here. Now, biblically... The typology here points to Christ. And let me explain how. So here we have the story of uh, Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau after uh, he has deceived his father and received the Messianic blessing. I've taught, I've taught in depth on this, and you can find those in our uh, Roseboro's Ramblings through Genesis. And uh, you know, look for uh, the, my teaching on Genesis chapter 28. And it's important to note that typologically, Jacob's ladder points to Christ. Let me explain how. If you have your Bible, you can look at John chapter 1, starting at verse 43. Here's what it says. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. And you are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh Uh-huh. And you sit there and go, Wait a second. Angels ascending and descending. Now not on a ladder, but on... Christ, uh-huh, and the church has understood, you know, that this then teaches us that Jacob's ladder ascending and descending on, you know, is a, it, that's pointing, beeline to Christ. In other words, Jacob's ladder is not a what, Jacob's ladder is a who. 
and who is Jesus. So that's the right way to understand what's going on in this text. And already we got a problem because Tim Phillip said that the latter is something we set up. Uh, no. It's like it got set up from earth upward. It wasn't set up from heaven downward. It was set up from earth upward. The, the crazy thing about that as I was reading that, and I don't know if this is biblically correct or not, but as I was reading it, I just had this feeling of God wants us to set something up in our life that's going to reach toward heaven, that's going to make an impact that God's going to notice. Uh, what? You, you, uh, Jacob didn't set up Jacob's ladder. Uh, man, uh, yeah. The direction's all wrong here. Christ is the one who has descended to us. It was incarnate of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He has come to save us. God, no, This text is not telling us that God wants us to set up something, some kind of ladder to heaven so that we can, he can pay attention to us. And right throughout the whole Bible, there are people that made decisions to set things up in their life. They're going to have an influence in the world that they're living in. We have an option to set it up. No, that's not what this is about at all. You got it backwards. What? Oh. In a coffee shop. And I drew that. What's that a ladder? Jacob resting with his uh, head on the rock and the ladder going into heaven with the angels descending and ascending. It's clear. It's good. All right, so some guy was in a coffee shop and he drew a thing on a napkin. And there you go. We got a spirit supernatural confirmation. It's a sign and wonder this is from God. Oh, man, is this a mess. It's awesome. Very good. So it's something that we set up. You know, let's. Look. No, it's not. Let's read on. Let's read on. I must be in the spirit. No, you really are not. The whole, if you were in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit would be kicking you for this. If Graham's got this and God's told him this, sheep is... <laughs> okay, it goes on. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is the word. That's why we as Christians say the word awesome as much as we can. Whenever we can, we use that word. Belongs to us. Awesome. It's awesome. How awesome was worship today? How awesome was the preaching? How awesome was... Anyway, you get the point. How awesome is this place? Uh, and, And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured it on... Uh, poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be, a, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. That's like the giving message just there because we missed it before, didn't we? I didn't do one, but that's the giving message right there. That's talking about tithing there and uh, something that... Yeah, that was voluntary, not compulsive. Some people are a little confused about, but the reality is that you will give depending on what you've seen. 
if you've had a revelation what have you been to seminary have you passed a basic hermeneutics class if you've seen the glory of god you will be compelled to give you won't have a problem with giving if you're like the, the reason, this is before law, so this is not, Moses wrote a law about giving after this, but this is before the law, before anyone had to do anything. He says, basically, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to bring a tenth and I'm going to give. Why is he doing that? It's after an event that's just happened. The event that's just happened is what he's just seen. He's seen something get set up on the earth and because of what got set up, there were angels ascending and descending on this thing that got set up. Understand this, that when we give, we set something up. And what we set up, it says that... (laughs) This is so bad. (laughs) So when we give, we set something up. And we only set up, we only give according to what we've seen. (laughs) I mean, this is like just grabbing at straws. You have no idea what this text is about, do you? And the reason why you don't know, uh, Tim, is because it's about Christ, not you. That's the reason why you are so blind here. The angels are going to ascend and descend on this thing. And, and here's the crazy thing about this. What we set up, God is going to move on. If we- <laughs> this is why I couldn't explain what was going on with this sermon. It's that bad. If we make a decision to set something up, angels can either go up or they can go down. In other words, what we do, what we give here on earth, it's going to go up. And if we're giving something going up, God is going to be able to give something coming back down that thing. (laughs) Oh, man, this is so bad. But it still relies upon us setting that thing up. That's not what the text says or means. It doesn't say any of that. He set it up because he saw something. He saw something. He had a revelation of something. If I do this, and if I get to come back to my father's house in peace, that's what he wanted. He wanted to come back to his father's house in peace. That's his whole point. About that little revelation. That's what that was the des- desire of his heart. I'll explain that soon. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> There's no way to recover this sermon. It's 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 already way in the weeds. But let me just go all the way now to Genesis 32, verse 22, and read you this, and then we'll we'll talk about it. And he arose that night and took his two wives. Just ignore that part. And his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford to Jabok. Everyone say, Jabok. It's like out of Star Wars, isn't it? He went to the Jabok. Okay. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. 
And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place something. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over the pinyol, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Peneel, face of God. This little passage of scripture is interesting. Jacob got his name originally because of the way that he was born, that as he was born with his brother Esau, it says that he was already trying as was twins, basically, they're coming out of the same, I just had a vision, my wife, she says to me, Tim, you can't do certain hand movements in church, because, so the the boys came out of this, you know, it's like, if you're talking about, don't, if you're talking, no, it's like, I need to have my hands taped behind my back, anyway, so, as she was giving birth to the boys, it says that he was in the canal and trying to grab the, 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 the heel of his brother. He was already from a young age. Esau was born first, Jacob born second. Already from a young age, he was trying to get ahead. He was trying, like life was a race for him maybe. He wanted to be in... No, actually, you're not exegeting the text right. Keep in mind, before the boys were born... Uh huh. Isaac's wife got a prophecy that the younger would be served by the older. That uh, you know, in other words, the one who was of note was the younger son, not the older. The prophecy is true. God had chosen Jacob, not Esau, and wasn't about to abide by the man-made rules of, uh, you know, primogenitor, you know, uh, the the firstborn gets the blessings and stuff like that. We're following the line of the Messiah, and you're not accurately describing Jacob. You know, you're actually kind of in half-truth format, not correctly teaching about him. Yeah, this whole sermon's a train wreck. Front, And in that culture, the firstborn was the, the firstborn was the one that got the blessing. And that was like a big deal in that culture. Like the firstborn child, the firstborn son was the one that received the father's blessing. And, and the blessing was like, it was a big deal on who got the blessing. And so Jacob realized that he was the second born, that he wouldn't get the blessing, that the firstborn would get it. So one day Jacob was Jacob was more of like a mummy's boy. He was more the stay-at-home type, the cook, the chef, the you know, he was doing the sewing, he was doing the the the, the ironing and helping mum around the house. Esau, his brother, was the hunter. He was out with the spears and he was bringing back animals and the killer and the hunter-gatherer type, tough, you know, strong guy. And so Esau had been out hunting that day. He comes home. There's Jacob making a pot of stew. And Esau says to his brother, making the stew, Give me some of that stew. I've been out hunting. I'm hungry. Give me some stew. Jacob goes, all right, I'll give you a bowl of this stew if you give me your birthright. And the brother is hungry, so he goes, what does it mean to me to have a stinking birthright? I don't even know what it's all about. 
doesn't really matter what. Dad's going to put his hand on me and pray a little prayer over me. But being, how's that going to help me in life? It means, so right at that point is... Notice he's not actually, again, reading the text. Yeah, let's, let's read about this uh, prophecy. Genesis 25. These are the generations of Itzhak, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Itzhak. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. It's a prophecy before the boys are even born, and that is the way we have to understand this text and what's going on. Brother Esau goes, fine, you have it. It's done? Yeah, it's yours. Esau goes, you can, you can have the birthright. Jacob goes, okay, and gives him the bowl of stew. It's like... The craziest thing. Later on, so this is like when they're younger, later on, it's like their dad Isaac is about to die. And it would be at the point that the dad was about to die that he would get the the children into the room and he would take the eldest. No, he lived a long time after this. Yeah, he, he just, I'm getting old. I won't be here long, but he was there for a long time after that. Isaac was acting contrary to the prophecy. Son, and he would bless him. You know, so that, so that he's going through this whole process. The mother of Jacob and Esau, she liked Jacob more than she liked Esau. Maybe because he hung around the house more. I don't no, she believed the prophecy. She believed what the Lord said regarding who was going to be the stronger and who was going to serve whom. I don't know. And so she was more for Jacob. So she had heard about the dad. Isaac is going to now bless Esau. So she says to Jacob, she says to him, hey, now's your chance. Uh, Dad, Isaac has told Esau to go and hunt and get some food, and he's going to bring that food back. He's going to cook it for his dad, Isaac. She was acting on faith in the uh, on the prophecy of the word of the Lord. She was acting according to that prophecy. Esau's going to cook it, and he's going to eat it. Isaac's going to eat it. And then at that point, after that, he's going to bless him. While he's out in the field hunting, Jacob... This is your chance. I'll make the, the mum says this. She goes, I'll make the food for you. I'll make the stew for you. You get some, like some hair and some goat's hair. Cause it says that Esau was a hairy man. I love the Bible. Esau was a hairy man. And so they got some goat's hair and he like kind of, I don't know, got some super glue and he just glued it on his hands and glued it on the back of his neck and this goat hair stuff. And then takes the stew that the mum's made while poor old Esau's out in the field hunting, doing, Esau's thinking, good, I'm getting the, the I'm going to get the blessing soon. And Jacob is like sneaking around, you know, like de- deceiving and trying to, as he always has, trying to push his way ahead in life, trying to force the issue, trying to get ahead. And so he, he gets in there with the dad and takes the stew in and goes, here, dad. And the dad goes, is that Esau, my son? And Jacob goes, yep. It is Esau, your son. You don't sound like Esau. Oh, no, I am, Dad. I am definitely Esau. Come, feel my hairy neck. 
oh, you are quite, you are quite a hairy one, aren't you? Feel my hairy hand. Oh, you, it's definitely you, but you don't sound like him, but you feel like him. Well, and the stew tastes good. Well, fine. Dad prays for him and blesses him. And Jacob's like, I got it. I got the blessing. It says that Esau comes home with the thing, you know, big, tough, strong Esau <laughs> comes home with his animal and he's going to make the stew and he goes in and takes it. And the dad goes, uh, who's this? He goes, it's Esau, your son. He goes, I just blessed you five minutes ago. No, no, no. I've been out in the field. You didn't bless me. Who did you bless? Well, I blessed someone. I don't know why I'm old. I can't see. I just, I just the blessing was pouring. I just did it. I just. Dad, it's your son Esau. The blessing was mine. Well, Jacob got in. The deceiver, the supplanter, the trickster, Jacob pushed his way in and has taken your blessing. And Esau goes, well, have you got another one? And he goes, no, I don't. I only get one blessing. That's the way it works. I've only got one. And it says that Esau is like, He's upset. Well, bless me, Dad. Bless me. Give me a blessing. I can give you a blessing, but it's not like the blessing. It's the second blessing. I mean, you're going to... If you have the time to summarize it, then you have the time to actually read the text. Why is it that these guys don't actually read the scriptures? Hmm, it's weird. Do good in life, you'll be fine. But if we're talking about the blessing... The one, the one that came really from God, the, the stars of the, the sky and the sand of the seashore, the big one, your brother got it. Yeah, the messianic one, because God chose Jacob before the boys were even born. How did he get it? And it's interesting that Esau had forgotten when he'd given it away. In, in talk, I think it's in Hebrews, it says that Esau sought repentance with tears yet found no place for it. In other words, even at that point after, he blamed Jacob for taking his blessing and stealing his... Now that part's true. Esau gave it up, despised it, didn't have the chance to get it back, and he blamed Jacob for his own sins. Yeah, that's correct. It says that because of that, Esau hated his brother Jacob. It says he hated him so much that the mother came and the mother said to Jacob, she says, Jacob, you need to get away. Your brother wants to kill you. And so the mother goes, Jacob, get your stuff and go. Your brother is going to take your life. Because you got the blessing, he hates you. And when Esau looked inside himself and said, well, should I be sorry for anything? Is this my fault? Inside himself, is what? (laughs) This is why you need to read the text and not wing it like this. He found no place. The whole time Esau just blamed his brother for what had happened. Even though the decision that was made way back then with the stew, Esau actually, he gave it up. Jacob actually never stole anything off Esau. Esau gave it away. Jacob did trick his dad. He did say, yeah, I'm Esau when he wasn't. So he was still. Yeah, and his mother was acting in accordance with the word of the Lord given to her before the boys were born. Got to keep remembering that part. Still a trickster. I'm not saying Jacob gets off scot-free. But either way, Jacob gets the, gets the blessing. The mum says, okay, you need to get away, run for your life. 
and in three days, come back. Because in three days, your brother would have forgotten about all of this. What? (laughs) What are you talking about? Yeah, come back in three days. (laughs) What? Oh, let's take a look at the text. All right. We are in Genesis 27. I'll start at verse 41. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. Stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be be bereft of you both in one day? Yeah, so, I mean, he's just making silly, silly errors here now. Uh, All of this would just go away, Tim, if you would just read the text. No mention about three days. He's the big, tough hunter-gatherer. They don't have a long long memory. They just, he'll be, you know, whatever. And anyway, so he goes away. That night, that night, Jacob is out there on his own. Pulls up under a tree, gets a rock, goes to sleep on the rock under the open stars. I think it's so interesting that the blessing of God, because you all want to be blessed. Everyone here is like, I want to be blessed. I want God's blessing on my life. The blessing of God leads to him out of his home, away from his family, with no tent, with no belongings, and he's under the stars, totally on his own. He's blessed. How is it in church and Christianity we have this connection with blessing and somehow we're going to have this fantastic life? Where does that come from? Jacob gets the blessing and his life turned to hell right there on that moment. Now he's running for his life. His brother hates him. He's got no tent. He's got no belongings. He's got nothing yet. He's got the blessing. And at that point, that's when God gives him this vision of this ladder set up on the earth. And at the point that he says to God, I will give you a tenth of of all that I have, he's got nothing. And it's easy to make a decision like that when you've got nothing, that God, I'm going to give you everything, but I have nothing. It's kind of a good deal. Of all that I am and of all that I have, Lord, I will give to thee, but you have nothing which is good. The problem comes later on in life when we start to get some things. This is so bad. He has no clue what to do with this text because the text points us to Christ and yet he's totally clueless. So he is just, oh, Man, grasping at anything, and none of it makes any exegetical sense. This is miserable. Whether or not then we will still make good on our, on our vow that we made when we had nothing. We forget so quick where we were when God found us, 
and what we had. And then we start to take ownership of you. Did he find me near Bethel? Where did he find me? Like of the blessings that we've got that we'd only got because of he found us in the place that we were. I'm just talking about my own life of where I was when he found me with nothing. Right. I mean, let's use the occasion of this text in Genesis to talk about where God found you. The reason I asked God or cried out to him is because I became aware of the fact I had nothing. I became aware of the fact I was doing nothing and I became aware of the fact I was going nowhere fast. And that's when he got me. And for me now today to say, well, I'm not going to give would be, would be, I would be, I'd have a short memory. I want to make sure I never forget where I've come from, where God found me. And from that day on, everything that I have, it's his anyway. So he goes out, Jacob goes out. He meets, he meets a nice girl. Uh, was it Rebecca? Rachel. I get the two mixed up. Rachel. At the well. Rocks onto the well. And there she is. By the well. Hey, big boy. And... At that point, he, it says that he has eyes for her. It's New King James. He has eyes for her. Uh, it says that she was lovely on the eye and that she had a sister, Leah. And it says that she was not so great on the eye. And so she, he goes and meets the dad, Laban. And he says to the dad, Laban, he says, I will work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel. And I, I'll work for seven years I'll work for seven years if you will give me Rachel's hand in marriage. Amazing. That's love <laughs> or stupidity. It's one of the two. <laughs> he works there for seven years and, and the wedding night comes and the dad makes sure that he makes sure that Jacob's cup is always filled up. Give him some more wine. Give him some more wine. Give him some more wine. Look, Jacob. Where are you getting these details? You keep adding stuff to the text that is, well, stuff that ain't there. Under your 15th bottle of wine. Have some more. Have some more wine, Jacob. Have some more wine. Jacob goes back to his tent that night. He can't see anything. Lays down and the dad takes Leah and says, Leah, you go in and you be with Jacob. Jacob wakes up in the morning thinking that he'd married... Rachel that night, he wakes up with Leah. Where'd you come from? You're not Rachel. Although under the influence, you looked quite good last night, but not now in the morning. So then he goes to the dad, he says to the dad, Laban, he says, you tricked me. You tricked me. Isn't it funny, the trickster getting tricked. Jacob, the trickster getting tricked now by Laban. It all it comes back around. And so then he goes, he goes, well, what do I got to do to get, to get Rachel? And dad goes, you can work another seven years. 14 years he worked. Finally, he marries Rachel. He stays for another, another little, basically the whole time. So his mum said to him, three days. In three days. No, she didn't. If you would just read the text, you wouldn't be making these silly mistakes. You can come back. Your brother would have forgotten. It's now been 20 years. 20 years. The blessing of God has led him on this 20-year journey. And it's always going to take longer than you want it to. 
I'm not the most patient person. So take it from me. It is always going to take longer than you want it to. What's going to take longer than I wanted it to? <laughs> Just because Jacob spent, well, 20 years working for Uncle Laban doesn't mean that something in my life is going to take longer than I expected it to. The, the, I mean, seriously, where did you learn how to mangle God's word this way? Because something happens to you in the process. And God is more interested in the process of, of, of like, God is trying to build something in you. God is trying to build something in you so that he can use you to build what he's trying to build on the earth, his church. And so he's trying to build like a backbone in you. He's trying to build some qualities in you that if you say you're going to do something, you'll actually do it. Because there's a lot riding on on all of this. There's a lot riding on the church. There's a lot riding on the kingdom of God. It's important what happens to you over the process and what you take from it. And what you learn from it, if you let life teach you some lessons or if you don't. So here's, here's the difference between the two boys. It says that Esau, even when he looked inside himself, he found no place to correct anything. That's one stupid person that looks inside themselves and finds no place to correct anything. We have always got... That is not what the text says. Where are you getting this? something inside us that we can improve on or that we can change or that God is going to work on. To say that we haven't is to say that we've already arrived and we are now Christ-like. I have arrived. The full glory has descended upon me and I I am it. I am the closest thing on the earth that you will see to Christ right now. If if I said that to you, you'd be like, I mean, you probably wouldn't come back next week, would you? be like, that pastor's got issues. But but that's kind of like what sometimes that we be, that we're like. We're like that. Oh, no, I've, I've figured it all out. I've got it all sorted. I know it all now. There's nothing more I can learn. Even with tears, if I seek after it, no, no, I'm good. And Jacob had a different, he had a different heart to Esau. And so he was going to let this process, if you like, change him and, and transform him. And so he comes to a point. And it says that his wealth is increasing. He's, he's now got Leah and Rachel and he's got two servants and he's had a whole bunch of kids and he's uh, made a little deal with Laban. He said like, you know, all the sp- sp- uh, spotted and speckled sheep that are born and they'll, they'll become mine. And he, he's still like a trickster. At the end of the day, he does this little thing with the rods and the watering trough and the sheep walk up to the watering trough and he's made a deal with Laban to say that all the spotted and the speckled sheep will belong to me and you have the normal ones. And then what he does, he takes these rods and he makes spots and speckles because he knows that if the sheep look at the spots and speckles at the watering trough, then they're going to produce spotted and speckled babies Later, it's a great thing. Whatever you look at a lot, you'll become like whatever you. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a clueless hermeneutic. What is this? Give your time and attention to it's going to have an influence over you at the end of the day. If you keep looking at something, you're going to become that. It's such a powerful thing. What we focus on, what we give our mind and we give our time to, we become like that. Jacob, in a trickster kind of way, knew this. 
And sure enough, all the sheep that were born after that time became out spotted, 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 and speckled. Yeah, and if you'd read the text, you'd realize, oh, it's God is the one who's causing all of this. And so it says then that Laban looked upon Jacob and said, yeah, you're getting too much stuff. And that the eyes of Laban were no longer uh, pleasant toward Jacob. The sons of Laban were no longer pleasant toward Jacob. And Jacob said to his, to his wife, he said, we should probably get out of here. 20 years later, he makes a decision to go back to his father. Remember that his wife said that? No, God is the one who told him to head back. Oh, I mean, just read the text and you would do 10 times better at conveying the meaning of scripture than what you're doing right now. At the start, he said, so that I come back to my father's house. All as he ever wanted was to go back to his father's house in peace. Because when he'd left, he'd left and there was no peace. His brother hated him. His desire was to return and not just to return, but to return blessed and to return with peace in the family unit. He wanted peace. And so 20 years later, he feels like the time is right now to do this. So he goes to the Jabok and it says that he sends over, he sends over his family, his kids and all his stuff, all of his things. He sends over in advance And it says that he stays there on that side of the the little stream thing. He's on this side of it. It's like he sent over everything that he had. And he's going to stay because this is like the, the line, if you like. This is when I came into this world, I came with nothing. I didn't have anything when I came into this world. And I know this, that when I leave, I'm not leaving with my stuff. There's one thing that I need to have as I leave this world, if you like, and that is the blessing of God is the thing that I need. So I don't care about my stuff. I'm not doing this for more stuff. I don't need any more stuff. I've got enough stuff. I've got cars and clothes and, I mean, you name it. I mean, how much do you need? It says that Jacob, when he left, he had the clothes on his back. This is not a story of rags to riches and stuff like that. That's really not what's going on in this text. And a rock is a pillow. The stuff was never important to Jacob. Even though God had said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you stuff. Don't let the stuff become who you are and what you're about. Don't let. Where in Genesis did God say that? That's not what this text is about. The stuff identify that whether you've got value or you haven't got value, it doesn't matter how much you've got. At the end of the day, you come into this life with nothing and you'll leave with nothing. There's one thing that you need when you leave this life. And that is literally God's favor and blessing upon your life. That's what you're going to be remembered for, noted for. That's what the, when you arrive at heaven's gates, there's going to be, has that person got Christ? Did they meet the Savior? Did they meet Jesus Christ? Have they got him? If they've got him, that's the blessing of God. Jesus is God's blessing on the earth. He has done everything that he can or could do. There is nothing more that God can do. He's already sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bless you. That's the blessing that we have received from him. It's not about how much stuff we have. It's whether or not we own or have not owned, but whether we have Christ in us. 
If we have Christ, we're blessed and we better be busy about and get to work on setting something up here on the earth where heaven can come down to earth and earth can go up to heaven. I'm telling you that the pra- it says the praises of God's people go up to heaven like a sweet smelling aroma. What do you think the church is? It's this place where we praise God based on the blessing that we've received that's caused us to be cursed on the earth, if you like. Because when you become a Christian, all your problems don't disappear. It seems like you get more of them. But God is forming something in you to form a backbone in you because he wants to build something on you that you're going to go through the waters. You're going to go through that stuff and you're not going to give up at the first time of some kind of struggle. This is where like the rubber meets the road type thing of like we're in a fight and I'm on this side of the river right now. I'm here in the earth right now. I could look at it this way and say that Jesus came down to earth and sent us over to the other side when we didn't deserve to go over the other side. He's already come down to this earth and he sent us on in advance. You're already saved. You're already blessed. I've already paid the price for you. I died on that cross for you that day that I could send you over to a place. Yeah, I, I'm glad you know something about Jesus dying on the cross for people, but it, it doesn't make any sense in the context of this very discombobulated sermon. It wasn't because of our blessing, it was because of the blessing that has been given to Christ that we have been told you can go over and you're going over blessed. But it says that Jacob stayed on that side of the river till he got the blessing. And it says that he fought all night. He fought all night. And this person, this angel, whatever it was, it says that in the end... It, It was Jesus. The thing, the person pushes his hip to take his hip out of socket. So now, and if you look at the commentaries, which I have, by the way, it says that the reason he did that was to enforce his superiority over Jacob, to say the person... Which commentary were you reading? The person that you're fighting with is far more superior than you are. But Jacob didn't know that. He didn't care about that. Jacob had just spent the last 20 years away from something, separated from something, isolated from something, pulled back from something. He wanted to get back. He wanted to come back. (laughs) Again, if you just read the text. The whole point of this message is that it doesn't matter how far you've fallen, where you've found yourself, how deep you've gotten, you can always come back. There is always a path back. There is always a way back. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've been involved in. You can always come back to your father's house in peace. You can get back to that place. It says that he gets the blessing. But it says this thing that uh, the angel finally says, or the person, some say it was Christ in the flesh, wrestling with him. And it says, what is your name? What is your name? Who are you? And in the text, I like it because when he answers, he says so quickly, Jacob. As I was reading it, I was thinking, it's like he's he's been on this 20-year journey. He's finally asked by this angelic thing of what is your name? And he responds quickly. Jacob, this is who I am. (laughs) 
Does this work? This works. Do I need the microphone? This is, I, while I was reading this, I, I felt like God gave Jacob a megaphone. Something had changed in Jacob to where now Jacob has been given a megaphone in regard to who he is. In other words, what? You felt this in your heart. The, the God, the Holy Spirit told this to you. Yeah, I don't think so. In other words, I'm not hiding anymore about who I am. This is who I am. I heard one preacher say once that God can't bless who you pretend to be. He can only bless who you are. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a wonderful slogan and all. Um, biblical texts, please. And when you figure out who you are, God can bless you. It took 20 years for Jacob to figure out who he was. Uh, that's not what this text is about either. To the point that when he was asked, who are you? He says, Jacob. With a megaphone. I know it kind of doesn't really give the same thing, but I feel like sometimes the devil has got a megaphone and the devil is saying all this stuff to us about who we are and the reason why we can't. And you can't do that because of this. And you can't do that because you've done that. Remember when you did that, that and that. Remember what goes on in your brain every single day. Remember the lust. Remember the passions. Remember the sin. And it's like the devil's got this megaphone constantly talking to us saying, you're this, you're that. You're not good enough. You'll never achieve it. You'll never do it. You've sinned. You've fallen too far. You shouldn't even be in church today. If they knew what you'd done, God would expose you. The walls would fall down. And I feel like you've got to get to this place inside who you are where you realize that now because of Christ, God has given you this megaphone to talk back, to speak back, to talk back. That doesn't matter how far I've fallen, where I've come from. I'm going to talk to you with this thing. Um, maybe you should focus on how the cross silences all of those accusations because Christ has bled and died for every one of those sins. And shortcomings. If you were preaching Christ from this text, that wouldn't be much of a stretch at all. Who are you? Jacob! I can't change who I am. I can't change what I've done. I can't change my past. My That's not what he's saying either. Past is my past. It's mine. It belongs to me. All of it. All of the stinking stuff that I've ever done, the drugs and the addictions and the, the pornography and the everything, it's all mine. It's who I am. It's what I did. It's what I was involved in. It's what I gave my time to. It's what I looked at. I can't change it. And just because I can't change it, it doesn't mean that God now can't bless me. He blesses me regardless of that stuff. And now that you've accepted who... No, it's not that he blesses you regardless. He blesses you in Christ by forgiving you of all of that stuff. Who you are, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to change your name. He changes his name right there to Israel. And it says that then he crosses over. Then he crosses over. Once you figure out this is who I am. It's like such a crazy thing that we think we have to change all of this stuff before God will ever accept us. And that once we become a Christian, it'll all magically fix itself. 
and that we'll never struggle with those things again until we receive the blessing and it seems like the battle intensifies. Next minute we receive the blessing and we lose our house and we are sleeping on a rock, a rock in a hard place. And all we've got to go off is this insignificant little dream that we could set something up. And maybe if we set it up, God would be attracted to it. And he would send stuff from heaven that might help us. And that we could send something back. And he would be pleased with what we send back. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the gate of heaven. This is none other than the house of God on the earth where believers set things up to glorify God and to yeah, there you go again with that setting things up thing yeah Jacob didn't set up the ladder that he saw glorify what he's done in your life and how awesome is it that when you begin to praise God despite your struggle he struggled with that thing all night and it seems like before you're before you've gone from that place to where you want to be, because it's always taking too long. Before you're, when you're there, it's like you're there and you know that you want to be here, but you're not where you want to be yet. It doesn't look like you want it to look yet. It doesn't feel like you want it to feel yet. And isn't it interesting that right in that place is where the struggle is. He sent over all his stuff. He's not where he was, but he's not where he wants to be. And right there is that struggle, this overwhelming struggle that even causes his hip to get put out of joint. So now he's limping. We got to get through the struggle. Yeah, we got to, you know, because, you know, he was limping. That means we got to get through the struggle, man. This is not lucid. We've got to have enough tenacity to go the struggle. The reason I'm struggling is because of the blessing. The reason I'm struggling is because of what I'm trying to set up. The reason I'm struggling is because of who I am. The reason I'm struggling is because of the destiny that God has given us. Again, the story's not about you. The reason we're in a struggle is because the devil can recognize the destiny that God has given us. Right, yeah. The reason why we're struggling is because the devil recognizes our density. Right, yeah. And that's why he's trying to stop us by saying that what you're doing is insignificant or doesn't matter. That's why there's this constant barrage up here in your head about it's not important. Who cares? Why come to church? It doesn't matter. This is weird. The songs aren't good. Oh, we didn't do this. We didn't do that. It's this constant thing. That's where that struggle is. It's, it's, and, and the enemy knows that, well, you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you want to be. So in the middle, I'm going to try and come at you. Yeah, that's what the devil was thinking. Who knew? And that's where it says, but he fought. 
He fought all wrestled all night to make sure that he would get that blessing that he needed. Let's all stand to our feet here this morning. So you're going to have everyone stand to their feet. What again is the reason for this? It's going to say here tonight. Maybe that's a sign that we're going to start a night meeting again. In Jesus' name. I like the megaphone. It's a good deal. Talking through a megaphone means that, what does it mean? It's like confidence, isn't it? It's like I've got something important to say. And because I've got something important to say, I'm going to project it so that everyone can hear it. Because it's important what I'm saying. But if you don't believe that, you'll never talk. But if you believe in what you're saying, you want microphones and megaphones. Oh, I'm not in it for the glory, Pastor. No, but God wants what's in you. He wants you to have the confidence to say it, to influence. Because that blessing is not just for you. I, again, I have no idea what he's talking about. This is not a lucid communication. This is not exegesis. It's just bumbling. That's the best way I could describe it. We're listening to exegetical bumbling, and he's not even exegeting. That blessing's for a whole bunch of people that we don't even know yet that live in our community. Thank you, God. Amen. All right. So there we go. Tim Philip, <laughs> sermon. I don't know what that was. I <laughs> just. <laughs> How hard is it to open a biblical text, read it in context, and then, then ha- make sure that we understand the accurate sense of what it is that the text says and means. But if you, oh man, if, if you think the Bible's about you, you will never be able to rightly handle a single biblical text. I mean, that was just absolutely miserable. What did you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard. On this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>